You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. We're kicking off today a brand new Christmas mini-series uh, entitled Regift, and so we're taking a break from our study in Ephesians until the first of the year, and so uh, t- today we uh, are taking a look at the idea of regifting the love that's been given to us. First John chapter number three, probably about two years ago on Wednesday nights, we uh, began to uh, preach through First John verse by verse, and, uh, and t- First John, if you've never read it, is a power-packed passage of Scripture. He talks about the love of God and how that should affect our daily lives and how we live. Uh, but today we're taking a look at First John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 1 this morning. First John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And verse number two is a great promise. We don't fully understand what's gonna happen when we see Jesus, but we know when we see him, we're gonna be made like him. That's an awesome promise from God's word. Verse number three, and every man that hath this hope in him, him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law for sin of the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Verse number five is another power-packed verse right there and the fact that in Jesus Christ there is no sin and he has taken our sin away from us. Verse number six, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, but he is born of God. And this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not the righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Verse number 10 takes kind of a unique turn in the fact that God... Uh, draws a clear delineation here between his children and the children of the devil. Uh, Those that follow after the things of God are the children of God, that those that don't are not the children of God. Those that love are the children of God. Those that don't, and this verse according to this, is the children of the devil. Verse number 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who is the wicked one and slew his brother, wherefore he slew him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother having need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Christmas time is a time when we look at giving gifts to other people. 
Uh, you might have gotten a gift before uh, from someone that you that is a good gift giver. I always like getting gifts from people that are good gift givers. They put a lot of thought into it and uh, they put a lot of research into it and find just the perfect gift. Uh, my wife is very good at gift giving. She always researches and does a lot of work. Uh, last year for Christmas, I got, I, I've been wanting forever in my entire life, forever and ever and ever, a Vitamix blender. But I can't bring myself to pay $500 for a blender, if you know what I mean, right? It's just ridiculous. It's just off the charts. My wife, for six months, had been going to the grocery and taking $20 out in cash and socking it away every time she went to the grocery because I wouldn't see it that way. And she'd been saving money all year long from her grocery budget uh, and, and socking it away. She found a coupon online and she went to the store and she researched all the blenders. And last year for Christmas, I got a Vitamix blender and it is awesome. I use it probably twice a day and I've definitely gotten my mileage out of it. It's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my life. You see, how sad is your life that the best gift you ever got was a blender, right? I'm just saying, it was really, really good. It's a good blender. But then all of us have gotten those gifts before that you open it up and you're just like, thanks. Like, I don't really know what I should do with this, but I appreciate the thought behind it. Uh, when I was in the Navy, I had a guy that I worked for that was, he was a little bit different, I guess you could say. And he'd gotten gifts for everybody in our office and he, every gift was unique. He didn't buy like 10 of the same thing. Every gift was unique to the person that he bought it for. And so it was kind of neat. You see uh, people before you, you know, open up their gifts. You're like, wow, that's, that's different, you know. And I get to mine and I open it up and it's a dream catcher. And I think to myself, that is so nice. And he said, when I saw that, I immediately thought of you. <laughs> is it my Native American look that I have going on that causes you to think that like a dream catcher would be, and if you're not familiar with the dream catchers, the circle things, the little net in the middle with the feathers hanging off, and the idea is that it, it catches your dreams when you think, when you, I don't know what it's supposed to do. But I thought to myself, that is so nice. You thought of me when you saw that. He goes, immediately, your first name that came to my mind. I thought, Wow. That's so nice. And then I think to myself, what do I do with this? You know, I'm not going to hang it on the rearview mirror of my car, that's for sure. I'm not gonna, I, I don't, I don't. And you can't give it to someone else, right? Like, who wants to be known as the guy who gives the dream catcher for Christmas, right? I don't want to be that guy. So it was just one of those strange things, you know? You just kind of uh, put it in your drawer and hope that he forgets that you ever even had it, Right? But there are gifts that we are given by God that we were intended to keep and use for ourselves, no doubt about it, but they're really gifts that are not meant for us, but meant to be passed along. That's what we're taking a look at over the next four weeks as we uh, look at this series entitled Regift. It's a gift that God's given us that we give away not because we want it, we don't want it, but we give it away because other people need it too. The first gift that we're taking a look at that God's given to us is his love. The Bible tells us in this case here that God loves us and he gave his love to us, which was good for us, no doubt about it, but he gave it to us to pass on to others as well. And that's what we're gonna take a look at uh, this morning. As we, by way of introduction, the type of love that we find uh, listed in here, uh, when the uh, New Testament writers wrote the New Testament, they wrote it in the Greek language. Uh, and there's a couple of different words that the Bible uses for the, the term love uh, in the Bible. The first of those is the word agape. Uh, the word agape is found uh, mostly used in the Bible, 116 times that it's used for the word love or charity. Now, as we look at this uh, it's important to understand that you might have been in church for a while and you hear that there's, uh, there's agape love, there's phileo love, and then there's a word that, that, that's the erotic type of love that's not found in scripture anywhere. And, and 
for the most part, you can say that, that the phileo love would talk about a, a brotherly type of friendship love. Uh, agape would be type of a godly love. That's true in, in some situations, but there's times where God speaks of his love for us in the phileo sense. So it's not 100% one-to-one ratio there. So uh, you can't say that agape is only type of godly love and phileo type of love is not a, a godly love. That wouldn't be accurate. But we don't find any type of erotic or fleshly love, the word found in the Bible anywhere whatsoever. But this term agape, for the most part, has been adopted as a type of uh, godly love. Uh, The principal Greek word for love used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, is the word agape. Uh, Because of its prominent use in theological and ethical context in these writings, the term has been often been taken to imply a sense of unmerited love, such as the God for human beings, or a selfless, self-giving love, such as humans are urged to have or exhibit towards God and one another. So when we think of uh, the term love here, it's not the type of love like I would have uh, towards pepperoni pizza. It's not the type of love that I would have for the Lakers. It's not the type of love that I would have for uh, anything other than uh, a deep, meaningful, selfless, serving type of love for others. So when we take a look at the the idea of love in this passage, it's a deep type of selfless love. The Bible tells us, first of all, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, that love is the defining characteristics of a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus went so far as to say in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus says, everybody's gonna know that you're a follower of mine, not because of the way that you dress, Uh, not because you carry your Bible around with you everywhere. People are gonna know that you're a committed follower of mine, not because they see you pull out of the driveway uh, at 9.55 on a Sunday morning when church really starts at 10 a.m. Some of you will get that this afternoon. Uh, But people will know that you're a committed follower of mine by the way that you love one another. Love is the defining characteristic of a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you're not loving, Jesus wouldn't call you a follower. Think about that for a second. You say, well, I'm just not that uh, loving of a type of person. We'll start today. Well, love just isn't in my personality. Ask God to change your personality. Love's just not who I am. Then ask God to help you be like Jesus because that's who Jesus is. I would say by nature, I would not consider myself a loving person, but I've asked God to change my nature to help me to be like, more like his nature. And Jesus says, if you're a committed follower of mine, everyone will know it by the way that you love one another. It's a defining characteristic. Love for others is evidence of our salvation. Uh, again, if you read through uh, 1 John, he talks a lot about love throughout 1 John. Our love towards God, our love for, towards our fellow man, In verse 14, we took a look at this morning. He says, we know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, how do we know for sure that we're children of God? It'll be evidenced in the way that we love one another. We'll know that we pass from spiritual death into spiritual life by the way that we love other people. Jesus goes on to say that True love is expressed in sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. Love will show up in every aspect of my life. There will be no area of my life that is not untouched when the love of God has his way. 
the way that I treat my neighbors, the way that I treat my coworkers, the way that I treat my family, the way that I talk to others will be evidenced in the way that I love or fail to love. Funny story happened uh, this past uh, week. My son had a basketball game. It was only a scrimmage, which it shouldn't have been a big deal, but every time uh, basketball is on, it's always a big deal to me. And so uh, I have a habit of uh, talking a lot at basketball games, um, generally towards the referees and the coaches and the players and uh, things like that, but uh, just a bad habit. If you notice my voice is a little bit raspy this morning, that's uh, because it was an interesting game the other night. Um, And so uh, anyways, uh, the refs were bad, as they always are. Refs are always bad. Um, They were just struggling to see some things, and I wanted to help point out for them and things like that. I thought maybe their vision was impaired, or maybe they needed glasses, or maybe they forgot how to use their whistle. I don't know, but uh, it was uh, it was rough. And so, um, the, uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I'm just going to confess my sin to you this morning. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I was talking a lot. And the worst part is, is it was a scrimmage, and there were about 20 people at the game. Uh, and so, every time you say something, it echoes throughout the gym, right? And so uh, my son Vanderlei was, was playing and he was playing a little bit aggressive and things like that. And he got called for a foul, which was a bad foul. And then the second foul was kind of on the fence foul. He probably shouldn't have got called for it. We got called for it and he fouled out. And so first of all, I'm mad at him. Second of all, I'm mad at the rest. And so I was just beside myself. But I thought this was, I'm gonna keep it together, right? I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor. I'm gonna lead the way by example and stuff like that. Not 10 seconds later, one of the guys on our team gets the ball. Somebody dives over his shoulder, grabs the ball away from him, knocks him to the floor, and they call a jump ball. And I'm looking around. Does anybody else see this? (laughs) Nobody else saw it, so I had to take it upon myself. (laughs) Nobody else saw it. And so I... I say, and mind you, my daughter uh, Tallulah was, was acting up at the time, so she's one. I'm, I'm holding her in my arms here, and meanwhile, letting the ref know that he missed a call. Uh, and so I said, are you kidding me? He tackled the kid. Are you serious? And it's echoing through the gymnasium. And the ref stops and turns around and looks directly at me, eyeball to eyeball. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to get ejected from a scrimmage game, right? I mean, like, I've never gotten ejected from a game before, but as a parent, to get ejected from a scrimmage game would be terrible. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep my mouth shut from here on out. And so uh, about, about five minutes later, the rest coming in. I'd, I'd settled down. I, I kept my mouth shut. My wife uh, kept me in line. Uh, that was a good thing. And so uh, the, the ref comes by about, about 10 minutes later, and, I, and he's standing there waiting for the guy to, to shoot his free throws. And I said, hey, ref, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. And he turned around, and he laughed. And he goes, it's fine. I've already forgotten about it. And I said, you are so gracious to me. And he laughed, and we had a good laugh about it. But I felt about this tall. Why? Because here I am this Sunday. I know I'm preaching a message on loving and using our words to build up and encourage and help and stuff like that. And here I am yelling this guy, telling him he's an idiot, right? It's just like, oh, what's the problem? The problem is we are selfish by nature. We're not loving people by nature. You know who we love? We love ourselves. We just want to do us for a while. I don't want to worry about anybody else. I want to worry about me. But that's the opposite of who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be one that thinks of others. And our love for God will be evidence in the way that we live our lives, the way that we treat other people, the way that we love, the way that we give, the way that we serve. First of all, we know true love through Jesus Christ himself. 
Verse number 16 tells us this, hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. The Bible says in John chapter three, verse number 16, probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, for God so loved, uh, that word love again is the, the Greek word agape, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's love for you was expressed in sending his son for you. That's why the Christmas season is such a huge party for Christians. I hope you have lots of pie. I hope you have lots of food. I hope you have good presents under the tree. But if it's just about the pie and it's just about the presents, you've missed the whole point of Christmas. If it's just about the the pretty ornaments on the tree, if it's just about uh, singing Christmas songs, you missed the whole point. Christmas is about Jesus and that's why we celebrate it. And for us, we see that God loved us so much because first of all, he saw our sinful condition. He knew that we had sinned against him. He knew we had broken our relationship with him. He knew that without any other outside intervention, we'd be separated from him for all of eternity and we would deserve it. I've sinned against God, you've sinned against God, we've broken God's law, we've broken his commandments, we separated our relationship with him, and if we died in our sin, the Bible says the consequences of that is eternal death. Separation from God in a place called hell, that's what we deserve for our sin. But God loves you too much to allow that to happen. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love. There's that word agape again. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died for sinners. And if you're a sinner, Jesus died for you. And the only hope that you have for this life and the next is Jesus Christ. The only hope that you have for making it to heaven when you die is Jesus alone. Being a good guy will not get you there. Being really religious will not get you there. Being a, a member of every church in town will not get you there. Being baptized 101 times will not get you there. Being baptized in the Jordan River itself where Jesus himself was baptized will not get you to heaven. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And Christmas is the time that we celebrate that God came to us because he saw our condition and he loved us and he sent his son Jesus to die for us that we could be saved. If there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, today needs to be that day. Jesus said in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's the only way that you'll ever make it to heaven through Jesus alone and through knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the greatest form of love that anyone could ever show. Uh, The Bible says that God laid down his life for us to prove his love for us. And so the true love that we know comes through Jesus. And we only have the capacity to love other people because God has loved us first. You see, we don't know true love until we see the love that God's given to us. I don't know how to love my children as a father unless I first understand how God loves me as his son. I don't have the capacity to love my wife the way that I should if I can't fathom yet how Jesus loves me. I can't deal with that coworker, neighbor, dude up the street that drives me absolutely bananas and I can't love him unless I first understand how Jesus loved those who cursed him and crucified him. 
I can't wrap my brain around it. But when I look at the example of Jesus, it all makes sense. Now, can I do that on my own? No, I need help to do that. I need something outside of myself to do that. And the Bible says that if you're a child of God, you've been given the Holy Spirit inside of you to accomplish that work, to be able to love the way that Jesus loved. But he's our example. Love is a denial of self for another person's gain. Love says, I'm gonna take what I want and I'm gonna set it to the side for a minute to be able to take care of other people. One of the hardest things in the world for me to do is Christmas shopping. And it's not because I don't love shopping, it's because I love shopping. I'll go to a store and I, I have in mind what I'm supposed to get. Hey, we're gonna get this for the kids. And I go and I look and I go, ooh, I really like that, that's nice. Ooh, I think I should get this, we've already done it twice. I've gone into a store to buy something for somebody else and I've walked out with something for me. Just, and, and uh, most guys know this, if you, everybody says, oh, what do you want for Christmas? I don't want anything for Christmas, I'm fine, I'm good. I don't need anything. My, my son Van Roy the other day said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I said, I just want the love of my kids. He goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what do you really want? And don't say kids that love Jesus. Well, that's all I really want for Christmas. <laughs> he said, no, something I could go to the store and buy. I said, honestly, I, there's nothing in the store that you could buy that I want. Nothing. Because if I want something, something at the store, do you know what I do? I go buy it, right? <laughs> I have to wait around for a holiday. I have to put, like, am I 12 years old? Do I have to put something on my Christmas list to get something? No, I just go to the store and buy it. Or I just sit on Amazon on my phone and go, ooh, yeah, how about that, right? And here's the thing. I have no problem shopping for myself. I hate shopping for other people, though. You know why? Because I'm selfish. And the opposite of selfishness is love. We sometimes think that the opposite of love is hate. It's not. The opposite of love is selfishness because love is selfless. Love gives. Selfishness takes. Love is concerned about you. Selfishness is concerned about me. And true biblical love comes about when I'm more concerned about your well-being than I am mine. I'm more concerned with the way that you feel than I'm concerned about how I feel. I've, uh, one of the things uh, tonight, be here tonight at five o'clock. We're closing out our, our study of, of Second Corinthians. Uh, but tonight's, the title of tonight's message is why we have a 10-minute handshaking time at Who We Call About His Church. That's, tonight, that's the title of tonight's message, no lie. And there's a biblical principle behind it too. And here's the thing. Most of you in this room probably would say, I hate the time where I have to shake hands with other people, right? Because it makes me feel awkward and I feel self-conscious and things like that. And let me just tell you this. I do too. I'm an introvert by nature. I know some of you have a hard time believing that, but honestly, I'd just rather do what everybody else does and line up for coffee over there in the corner and not talk to anybody and drink my coffee and be left alone, right? That's me by nature. But here's what I have to think in my mind. There are people at this church that feel awkward just being in the room. And I'm more concerned with the way that they feel than I'm concerned about the way that I feel. And you say, well, you're just such a good Christian. No, I've asked God to change my heart. I've asked God to give me a love for people. And honestly, one of the most uncomfortable times at our church is the handshaking time for me, just for me. Some people love it, some people hate it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we're just gonna keep doing it anyway. So, uh, but the idea is this. I'm less concerned with how I feel and I'm more concerned with how you feel. That's what love looks like. I'm more concerned with how you're doing than I'm concerned with how I'm doing. And you say, well, who's gonna take care of me? Hey, you always get taken care of. 
If you're tired, you go to bed. If you're hungry, you eat. If you want something, you buy it. We do a very good job of taking care of ourselves. Love says, I want to take care of you for a little bit. And it's easy to love the people that love us. It's easy for me to love my wife. She's very lovable. It's easy for me to love my kids. They're mostly lovable. Um, Mostly. Uh, It's easy for me to love my church family. You guys are incredible. It's tough for me to love people who don't like me. It's tough for me to love people who talk badly about me. And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He, He said to his followers, hey guys, you love the people that love you. Congratulations, even the unsaved people do that. I'm asking you to love your enemy. I'm asking you to pray for those who hate your guts and lie about you. I'm asking you to love people outside of your capacity to be able to love. That's where true love begins. And I don't have that in me. You might, by nature, I don't. And so I have to lean on God's power to give that to me because I don't have it on my own. But I have to come to the point where it's no longer about me and it becomes about other people. True love's just doing what Jesus would do. It became popular when I was in high school to wear the WWJD bracelets and every now and then I see people with those on. That's fine if you need that as a reminder, but let me just tell you this. You should be thinking that every single day and you shouldn't need a bracelet to tell you that. I just need to go through life thinking, how would Jesus treat this person? How would Jesus handle this situation? And you say, well, I don't really know what Jesus would do. Just read the Bible. The first four books of the New Testament are the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels, the story of good, the good news of Jesus. You wanna know what Jesus would do? It tells you. And true love is just doing what Jesus would do, and it's loving the way that he would love. You see, love in action is the power of genuine faith. It's easy for us to come and sing songs about Jesus. It's easy for us to come to to church, especially at Christmas time when we feel like we're supposed to. It's easy for us maybe even to take a who we call a sticker and put it on the back of our car. It's very, very difficult to live out our faith in a genuine way. But love and action is the power of genuine faith. Keep your finger here in 1 John. We're gonna come back in just a sec. But flip back in your Bible to the left into the book of James, if you would. James chapter two. If you're not part of one of our small groups that meets on Wednesday nights, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, One of the reasons why I think of that is because we're going through the book of James uh, on Wednesday nights and just talking about it and discussing it. The book of James is again a power-packed passage of scripture. There's so much truth found in the book of James. James chapter two, verse number 14, James says this, what doth it profit my brethren if a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Verse 14 is an interesting uh, verse that's been picked apart by theologians for uh, really hundreds of years. He says this, he says, you say that you have faith, but your faith doesn't actually do anything. You just got a lot of talk, but you don't have any action to back it up. And he says, is that really faith? Is that good enough? Goes on, verse number 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. I don't know about you, but I don't want a dead faith. I want a faith that actually does something. I want a, I want a faith that has a little bit of tread left on the tires, 
I want a faith that gets stuff done. But when I say that I have faith, but I do nothing with my faith, the Bible says my faith is dead. It's useless. You might as well just dig a hole and bury it because it's not doing anybody any good. We want faith in action. Verse number 18, he says, Yea, a man say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, hey, let's have a contest. Show me your faith, but don't actually do anything with it. And I'll, I won't tell you about my faith. I'm gonna show you my faith. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the power of genuine faith comes in is love in action. Flip back to you, First uh, John, if you would. <laughs> True love begs to be expressed. In the Bible, we never, ever, under any circumstances, see love as simply an emotional feeling. It's always connected with action. Jesus said this, do you love me? If you do, keep my commandments. So obedience is automatically linked together with love. Here in, in the book of James, we see faith connected to the way that we live our lives and the way that our, our works come out of our life. Uh, verse number 17 in 1 John chapter three, but whosoever had this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shut up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Take a look at verse 17. He starts off and says, whosoever in this world hath the world's good. He's, what he's trying to say here is, whoever in the world is rich, and you see somebody in need and you don't help them, what good is that? I would venture to say that in this room today are some of the wealthiest individuals in the entire world. In this room, and you go, well, who's here? You're here. You say, well, I'm not rich. You're ridiculously rich. Did you know? Did you know that half of the world's population gets by on less than $2 a day? That means if through your bank account this month passes $60 or more, you're automatically in the top 50% wealthiest people on the entire planet. On the planet. Some of you make $60 in a couple of hours. According to the world's economy, you're filthy rich. We're ridiculously wealthy. Now, you want to start looking at Instagram. You want to start comparing uh, median incomes in your neighborhood and stuff like that. Might not be so wealthy, but compared to the rest of the world, you guys are ridiculously rich. I'm ridiculously rich. And it says, if you have this world's good and you see somebody that has a need and you stick your hands in your pockets and keep on going, what good is that? The gifts that God's given us are not for our own consumption only. God gives to us so that we can be blessed, so that we can in turn bless other people as well. It's not meant to give to you to hoard and to keep to yourself. See, true love begs to be expressed because love's an action, not an emotion. Love's not a feeling I have. Love is something that I do. Love is not some ooey-gooey feeling that I have. That's where people get confused when it comes to love. They say, well, I'm just not a very loving person. I just don't feel that way. It's not a feeling, it's an action. It's a choice that I make. When I shake somebody's hand on a Sunday morning and says, hey, I'm so glad you're here today. That's an act of love from me to that person. And if you're here at Hui Kala for the first time today, know this, you are loved and accepted here. And I'm thrilled that you're here. Why? 
because this is a place of God's love. This is a place where everyone is accepted. This is a place where everyone can feel loved. Not because of the feelings that we have, but because of a choice that we make to love other people. Love is a choice that we make. You see, the gifts that we give to others during Christmas, it's not about the gift, it's an expression of our love. I don't know how many parents have ever done this before, but you sit down on Christmas Eve and you wrap all the gifts and you put them under the tree and you begin to look and you go, did we get enough stuff? Like, I feel like we should have gotten like a big bicycle or something, or maybe we should have gotten a skateboard, or we should have got something big, you know? And we look and we go, oh, did we do enough? Then there's been other times where the grandparents send everything under the sun. You look at this and you go, this is dumb. We're gonna start throwing stuff away tomorrow. Like, you're gonna open it up and with the wrapping paper, we're gonna throw this junk away that the grandparents sent, right? But the problem with that mentality is this, we focus on the gift itself and the the amount of money that we spend on the gift or the number of gifts that we have as opposed to what the gift represents. The gift represents my love for my children, my love for my wife. My wife and I, every year we say to to, to one another, hey, let's not get anything for each other for Christmas this year. We know that we love each other. We don't have to buy gifts to to prove that. And every single year, both of us separately go and buy gifts anyways, right, for each other. And she's like, you said you weren't gonna get anything. I'll say, you said the same thing. You're a liar too. Uh, (laughs) But here's the thing. I can't allow a a holiday like this to pass and not give the person that I love more than anything in the world a gift. It's not about the the money that I spend on the gift. It's an expression of my love. God gave us an extravagant gift. He gave us his son. And that was a matter of how expensive the gift was, but also what the gift represented. It represents God's love for us. And he gave of his own self. He gave us his son. And that is a picture of us for the way that we love other people. Love's what I do, not what I say. Verse number 18 in this passage, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Oh, it's good that you say that you love, that's fine, but show me how you love. Oh, it's a good thing that you tell other people that you love them. That's a a very, very healthy thing for us to express our love for other people. It's a good thing. But don't let just let it be words. We said last week, talk is cheap, walk is expensive. I need to love people, not just with my words, but in the way that I live towards them. Final thought this morning, motives matter to God. You see, the way that we love should be motivated from the right truth. We take a look at verse number 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. When we give at Christmas time, do we give to soothe our conscience? I've been guilty of that before. I go into Walmart and I buy myself a couple of bags full of stuff and buy stuff for our kids' stockings and buy Christmas presents and things like that. And I walk past and I see the lady ringing the bell with a red kettle. And I go, oh, I don't have any cash. I'm a terrible human being. And I feel guilty all the way back out to the car. I think here I'm walking out with uh, Reese's uh, peanut butter cup trees. If you've never had the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Christmas trees, you're missing out on some of the best thing that God ever created. It's not even like the regular Reese's. It's like totally different. It's amazing. It's like, it's like the uh, Snickers eggs that they have at, at Easter. It's un- off the charts. But I'm walking out with, with all this candy and stuff, and I, I walk past the red kettle, and oh, I feel guilty. I wish I had cash. I don't have any cash. I never have cash. 
And I want to go back and I want to rummage through the, the, the seat cushions in the car to, to get some change because I feel bad that I just walked past the red kettle. Is my giving in that case motivated by my love for my fellow man? No, it's motivated by guilt. It's motivated because I feel bad that I bought this stuff for my kids and I'm not giving anything uh, to these people over here. And there's been times where I had a 25 cents and I, I dropped it in the kettle and I felt good about myself because I gave a quarter. That giving wasn't motivated by the love of God and me. It was motivated by a desire to soothe my conscience. True biblical love doesn't seek to have its conscience soothed. It seeks to make the world a better place by loving our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. Do we give to glorify ourselves? Do we give so that people will think that we're an awesome person? Do we give so that people will think, man, what a great guy that Anthony, such a giver. The Bible says when we give, our left hand shouldn't know what our right hand is giving. That if you want people to say, oh, wow, what a generous guy, you've got your reward already. But the Bible says if you give in secret, if you pray in secret, if you fast in secret, the God which sees you in secret will reward you openly one day. And many times I've seen people before that want to give to glorify themselves. They want to post it all on social media, what they gave, what they gave away and things like that. Not to give glory to God, but to give glory to themselves. God says you got your reward if that's the case. Or do we give to glorify God? Do you show the love of God to other people because you want people to know how great a God we serve? I don't want people to look at my life and go, oh, what a great guy Anthony is. I want people to look at my life and say, what a great God Anthony serves. I want it to not be about me. I want it to all be about him. And when we give away the gift of God's love for Christmas to other people, it gives glory to God. You see, God's always been pleased by some sacrifices while rejecting others. You can do the right things with the wrong motives and God's still not pleased by it. At the end of the service, just like every other Sunday, we're gonna take an offering. It's our opportunity to give back to God from what he's already given to us. Now, some of us will give online. Some, some people uh, give in the service. doesn't really matter how you give. It doesn't matter that you give. And some people might just pull out their wallet and go, oh, I got a buck, I'll throw that in. It won't really make that much of a difference. The Bible says that God's not even pleased with that type of giving. God wants us to give out of love and worship and adoration for how great he is. That we can do good things for the wrong reason and God's still not pleased by it. You take a look at Cain and Abel. Verse number uh, 12 in this passage, not as Cain, who was the, the, that wicked one, and slew his brother. Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, go back to the book of Genesis and you find two brothers, Cain and Abel. Abel went out and killed an animal and offered it as a sacrifice unto God. God says that's a good sacrifice right there. Cain didn't want to kill anything because that would actually cost him something. So he gathered up some herbs and some berries and brought those before God. And God says, I never asked for that. I'm asking for a sacrifice. And God rejected Cain's offering and received Abel's offering. And because of that, Cain killed his brother Abel because of jealousy, selfishness. So you go back to the beginning of human history, we find that God rejects some people's sacrifice while accepting others. What's the difference? The difference is our heart every single time. And you might say, Pastor, I'm not a loving person. Ask God to change your heart. I just don't have a, a love for other people. Ask God to change your heart. I'm really just kind of focused on me and making sure that I'm good. Ask God to change your heart because I promise you that he will. 
And that's where the good stuff in life is found when I'm focused on others and not focused on myself every single time. How do we re-gift love at Christmas time this year? First of all, give a thoughtful gift to an unsaved friend. Somebody that doesn't know Jesus, take time and give a gift to them. This is even more powerful when it's somebody that doesn't like you or somebody that you don't like, believe it or not. Because it says, this isn't because you deserve it, it's because God is really, really good. This is not because I think that you're such a great person, it's because God loves you. But this shows the love of Christ to other people. Again, it's easy to buy a thoughtful gift for somebody that's sitting here this morning that's a friend of yours who's been really nice to you. It's easy to buy a thoughtful gift for our children's ministry workers because they take care of our kids while we're uh, in church and things like that. Those are easy. But the Bible says that real love kicks in when we love others that are unlovable to a certain degree. Secondly, give to those in need. Every year we get... uh, Christmas tree angels from the Salvation Army. And we have, I think, about four of them left on our tree. They might even be gone already. Uh, but we ha- so far this year, we've gotten 55 of those uh, Salvation Army angels to, to give back. That's just one way that we can give to people who have a need at this Christmas time. We got some for, for our kids. And we said, we're gonna take part of the money we were gonna get to, to buy you guys presents this year. We're gonna buy for other people. And you know what my kids said? Awesome. You know why? Because we don't need anything. We're blessed. We have everything we could imagine under the sun. And we want to be able to give to people who have a need. And again, this is not just a Christmas time thing. This is an all year long kind of thing. Next, serve others through the church. One of the joys about being a part of a family like this is being able to help other people and serve other people. If you have kids, somebody this morning is watching your kids so that you can enjoy a church service this morning. They're they're not hearing preaching this morning because they're watching your kids. They're not singing Christmas songs this morning because they're watching your kids. And you say, well, that's terrible. They don't feel bad about it. You know why they're doing it? Because they love you. Because they love Jesus. Because they love this church. We have ushers to help people find their seats. You know why they do that? Because they love Jesus and they love this church. We have people that hang out on the sidewalk and high-five people and give, shake hands as people are coming to church. Why do they do that? Because they love Jesus and they love this church. Serving other people through Jesus' church is being the body of Christ. This is what we do. So find someone that you can serve through the church this year. Next, participate in community outreach. No greater love than introducing people to Jesus Christ. We go out every single Saturday of the world at 9.30. We meet here, go out to our community, pass out invitations to church. It's very, very easy, no experience necessary. That's one of the ways we can show the love of Jesus to people in our church talking with somebody this morning. I said, how'd you hear about our church? She said, two times people have come by my house and left an invitation on the door. I worked Saturday, so I, didn't, I never got it, but I'm here today. I said, we've been looking for you. Glad you made it. You know what that is? It's just showing the love of Jesus to our neighborhood. Simple as that. Be a part of it. Live out your faith in a real tangible way. Community outreach is a way to do that. Final thought, share the gospel with somebody who needs it. Hey, this is the most loving thing anybody's ever shared with me, and I wanna share it with you. We have books on the back table called Paid in Full. It's a very uh, simple to read gospel presentation. Hey, this tells you what Christmas is really all about. This right here will tell you how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. This tells you why me as a Christian, I get super fired up about Christmas because of what Jesus has done for me. Share the gospel with somebody. It's the most important gift you could ever possibly give to someone.
Now, again, I'm going to give the gospel along with other things for sure. I'm not just going to say, hey, here's what I got you for Christmas, a, a, a Christian book. You know, that might not be a great gift. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and they said, uh, my in-laws bought me for my first Christmas a Bible, and I was so mad about it. <laughs> it's like, okay, get a Bible and, and cookies. You know, that would be good. You know, get, the, get a Bible and a Cheesecake Factory, factory gift card. That would be a good uh, combo. But after they've found who Jesus is, they'll realize that the gospel was the best gift that they ever really got, and a, a Cheesecake Factory gift card was just icing on the cake. You see what I did there? Oh, come on. That was a good one. It was a good one. Thank you for the courtesy laugh afterwards. You're so kind. But we've been given the love of God through Jesus. We get to repackage that and give it away this Christmas. We get to re-gift. You've been given love. Show it to somebody else this Christmas season. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, you've never received the gift of the love of God through Jesus, today's your day. Today is your opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and have your sins forgiven and know for sure that heaven is your home. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive.